0: This episode is brought to you by FX's The Bear. The hit series returns with Jeremy Allen White in the Golden Globe winning role of Carmi. He and the team will transform their family sandwich shop into a next level spot, all while being forced to come together in new ways as they confront their past and reckon with who they want to be in the future. FX's The Bear. All episodes now streaming, only on Hulu.
1: This episode is brought to you by Certified Piedmontese Beef. Listen up, foodies. Make your next meal even better with real Nebraska beef. They have healthy,
0: tender, delicious Italian heritage beef, grass-fed and sustainably raised on lush pastures in the Midwest. You can even create your own personally curated meat box that's shipped right to your door. To get two free steaks with any purchase over $50, use the code FREEBEEF at checkout. Learn more and shop exclusively at cpbeef.com. Hello and welcome to One for the Road with me, Sober Dave. I'm going to be talking to some incredible guests over the next few weeks, all of whom have made the decision to look at their relationship with alcohol and take steps towards a positive change. My guests are all at different points in their journey, but all have powerful and uplifting stories to share. And that's why I hope you find each episode a valuable source of inspiration and insight. This season's podcast is sponsored by a great new startup called Tweak Life. They have built a well-being hub full of useful information of tweaks that you can make including mindfulness, nutrition, exercise, managing addictions, improving your finances, and even the menopause. The last few years have been really tough for us all. And with this in mind, Louise created this hub, hoping to help individuals and businesses offer this to their employees and apply some of these tweaks to make a difference to people's lives. This is free to use, so for more information, please go to tweaklife.co.uk Today's guest on One For The Road is an internationally acclaimed jazz musician. He is also the manager and tour manager of the 80s ska band Bad Manners. On today's podcast, he shares his incredible story and the reasons why he had to stop drinking eight years ago in March. It gives me great pleasure to introduce to you the wonderful Adrian Cox. So, Mr. Adrian Cox, welcome to my podcast, One for the
1: Road. How are you doing, fine, sir? I am very well. Just in the middle of uh, touring heavily all around the world. And I'm just back home for one day. So you caught me on a on a day off.
0: <laughs> I know. I don't know how you do it, mate, because I follow your account and and talk about stress. But um, we we'll get on to that later on. Um, yes, and, it's you know, these are life stories and it's great to get you on because what I love about you and your account is that you're actually eight years sober, but you talk like you six months sometimes because you always stay grounded with your sobriety and you do loads and loads of reels online and talk about feelings and emotions. And it really helps people to connect with where they are as well, even though you're eight years sober. So I really
1: appreciate your account, actually. oh Nice. nice. I'm glad people are... There's, I get a lot of messages like that. People say that you're still up front with where you are and how you're feeling and what you're doing. It's that thing of not getting complacent. You know, that's
0: the, yeah, that, that's the thing, mate, and that's what I, I hope that I do because I always wind it back to the beginning and how it was for me and I get in touch with my feelings and that's why I visit places as well that I've been at my rock bottoms because it yeah. keeps me. There's a programme, I think, years ago called um, Back to the Floor and it's where all these managing directors and executives go back and work in the factory. Yeah, now.
1: right, where they all started you know? out. Uh, yeah. And
0: I, I like to think that we're like that with our sobriety because then it makes you relatable rather than this bloke who's eight years sober and you've gone off in your merry way. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, I right, think it's, it's the really important. It. Yeah, exactly, mate. So I want to know more about you and I'm sure all the people listening do as well. So um, where did you
1: grow up, young man? So I grew up in a place called Burgess Hill, which is near Brighton. And I think if you put Burgess Hill in Facebook, it actually comes up Burgess Hill near Brighton, so that's always it. <laughs> I know but, um, Burgess Hill. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, bugger's hole. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I grew up there, um, and uh, I started playing music when I was six years old. My dad bought me a clarinet. Uh, I think he, my dad plays the banjo for his sins, but um, he always got me into, well, I was always into jazz and listening to jazz, and so we got a clarinet. So from the age of six, living in Burgess Hill, I started playing the clarinet, loved it. Uh, but then I needed some money when I was about 10. There was something I wanted. It could have been Lego, could have been a bike. I don't know. But they said, well, remember you got your clarinet, you could sell it. I hadn't played it for about six months. So I, I went to sell it and dad said, well, have a play on it before you, before you get rid of it, because you might like it. Anyway, I carried on. Play, I, I played on it. I hadn't played it for about six months. Or something. And I loved it. And I was like, oh, I'll keep it. And um, I was having lessons at the school, but no one else was practising. Uh, And I came across a clarinet teacher called Jack Gilbert, um, who was incredible, a total mentor to me as a musician. And um, yeah, and so I had lessons with him and from the age of uh, 11 till I was 15. And he said to me, whatever you do, never go professional as a jazz musician. He said, you'll have little pockets of fame. Um, He said, you'll make no money and it'll be a horrendous life for you. Um, And then I was shit at school. I fucking hated school. Although I got on with everyone. I got on with all my teachers. I'd often see them. Well, there was gigs. I was doing gigs in the pub from the age of 13 with my dad's band. So I'd often have a half, you know, it's like, oh yeah, get him a half, get him this. And there was a gig I used to do on a Sunday night in Hove. And one of my teachers used to be there. And I remember going to the bar, going to get a drink. I was 15 at this point. And I said, oh, can I get a pint of strombo? And I turned around and there she was, my history teacher. And I was like, oh, uh, uh," and she was like, what are you doing here? And I was like, oh, I'm doing a gig with my dad. You know, I remember it at the Brunswick in in Brighton. And I was sort of like, oh, this is a bit weird, you know. Anyway, um, and then so 15 years old, um, my music teacher told me I'd never go anywhere in music. I got a B in music. I couldn't be bothered with doing all of the exams. I'm, I'm not that kind of player. I'm not that studied player, musician It's all about feeling for me and emotion and playing. Um, uh, But of course, you need to be taught how to actually play the thing. Uh, And then my music teacher phoned up my clarinet teacher and said, I don't know what he's going to do. He's absolutely useless at music. He's not got a career in music. And then my clarinet teacher phoned me and said, right, that's it. You've got to go professional now. You've got to prove him wrong and you've got to do this. And I got off. I went to Butlins in Bognor Regis. There was a jazz festival there in the uh, 1999 may of 1999 and uh, there was a band playing and my clarinet teacher was, it, it was a long stories about people he had played with musicians and he introduced me to them and i was oh this is amazing and what, and this trombone player came up to me martin bennett and he said right can i take take you to the bar he said can i buy you a drink and i said oh yeah i have a bitter Which was the right thing to say, because all the jazzers were all real ale men, you know. And he said, well, I can't offer you anything decent, but I can give you a Butlin's Best Bitter. So we had that. And he said, right, I've got two lads, younger lads. They were in their 20s. Um, He said, they run a jazz band. They live in Devon. They'd be very interested in you. Give me your telephone number. And uh, he sent them a postcard. And it said, met a lad, got no brain, but by chance plays the clarinet. Call him. And they did. And they phoned me up. In, in the end of May, this guy phoned me up. He goes, um, oh, my dad said he met you at a, at a gig. Uh, and they were based in Devon, in Totnes in Devon. If you know Totnes in Devon, it's the hippie capital of the world. And I was in Burgess Hill. Yeah. So I get a phone call from them and they say, what are you doing from this Wednesday till next Sunday? I said, well, GCSE exams. And they said, well, are they important? I said, well, I, c- I couldn't give a fuck. You know, they said, do you want to come on tour? So I went on tour with them. And uh, did the tour. They dropped me back. I had to go and do an English exam and things like that. But the, the trip or transit, like an old yellow one, the old transit with the with the uh, bonnet on it, you know, the old look. high roof, had an optics rail in the back, aeroplane seats, got in that, 15 years old, straight in the back, went to do some gigs and, uh, and I absolutely fucking loved it. It was everything I've always wanted to do. I've always wanted to be a musician, always wanted to be on the road love the whole idea of touring. I love it as much now. I love it even more now because I get to fly in a uh, business class. I collect. And that's one thing through sobriety. I'm, I'm on top of everything, you know, collect points for everything. Um, and, and that's what I wanted to do. And they, they said, well, we want you to join the band. I was 15 years old. They said, we want you to join the band, but you've got to join. This was on the Monday. They said, you've got to join this Saturday. And I went, okay. And what does that mean? They said, well, you got to move to Devon. Um, <laughs> So this was a traditional jazz band, you know, like the likes, you know, like playing New Orleans traditional music, banjo, double bass, drums, um, clarinet, trumpet, trombone. And it was quite rare because they were a young band, or, or two of them were young, the brothers. And so that was it. I spoke to mum and dad, who knew that this is what I've always wanted to do, and they allowed me to leave home at 15. And that's what I did. I got on a national express bus and I moved down to Totnes in Devon, moved in with two guys who I'd met the previous week and that was it moved in there I was in Totnes 15 years old paying 20 whatever it was 25 quid a week rent suddenly paying bills the band was so busy touring all over all over the UK and some trips to Europe as well you know and uh I was earning 50 quid a gig and getting and and that was that was thrown into life there you go fucking have it 326 shows we did in the first year it was fucking yeah Uh, honestly it was mad and we're just driving we had no hotels we just sleep in the bus and and that's when it all started so 15 years old I've left home I'm hanging out with a crowd the jazz scene was a lot older especially the traditional jazz scene and all of my friends are now suddenly between the ages of 26 and 40 years old that's my that's my group of people that I'm hanging out, and I'm living in Totnes, where you can fucking do whatever. I you know. Want.
0: I've been there, mate. I went to a retreat there, a place called Sharpen Trust. Right. Okay. Um, four days there, which was a bit different from what you're trying to tell me. Um It right. was um, eating really well, vegetarian food, no booze, in, nothing, mate. <laughs> I imagine yours is a bit different, but it was slightly um, different. So yeah. when when you're with these older people and you're touring all over the place. What did that mean with uh, the old in then?
1: So when I when I arrived there, there was one of the brothers, 29, uh, and the younger brother was 26, and he said to me, um, he became he was my became my best mate. You know, we did everything. We shared rooms together, and the first thing he said was, "He and he was a huge drinker, a huge huge drinker." And he said, "Look," he said, "I'm a massive drinker." He said, "I don't expect that you'll get to the level of me straight away." He said, "But we'll work on it." And we'll build you up. You know, we'll build up your tolerance. It'll all be all right. This was a proper conversation. He said, "Right, here's a liter, and no, here's a bottle of Harvey's Bristol Cream Sherry. There you go. Drink that. See how much oh. you can drink of it." So I drank. You know, I remember. I remember it. We. I remember we were in the house where we were living, and we were I was so pissed, and I went outside in the garden, and we just started playing music. He was playing the banjo. I was playing the clarinet. I have such a vivid memory of this woman walking a. Her, her, pushing our kid in this little trike and like them stopping and us playing them a tune, you know? And and was, honestly, and then, then of course, my 16th birthday was up on the moors, um, you know, drinking, taking magic mushrooms, going crazy, you know? And so drinking suddenly became a huge, huge part of my life and days off, when it was a day off I was at home, I could get served in every pub in Totnes, like, mm. no problem. And they even knew, they, they just called me youth, you know, They're like, all right, youth, have a pint, but with a, a lemonade next to it. But I was drinking at that point with, within the first three months of being there. If I was at home or going bang on the piss, I could, me and my mate, we'd do a litre of sherry each. So we'd go to the pub, we'd drink maybe two pints of um, two pints of Abba Ale. And then we'd go, ah, it's not really happening, is it? And then we'd go to Safeways, buy a litre each of cooking sherry, Manor Hall cooking sherry, which was one ninety five a litre. So we'd get a litre each, and then we'd go sit by the River Dart, and we'd drink, we could do a litre each in about 25 minutes to half an hour. Then we'd go back down the pub and get on it. And we used to drink, what we'd drink was um, Abba Ale, and then you'd have a half and then put a barley wine in it. And oh so then God. eventually you'd just, and, you know, and we'd have, We were drinking every day and we'd have competitions, not competitions, but it would be like, right. See, I remember it was like, see how much you can drink at home and then go out. You know, and I think I managed six bottles of red wine and then managed to go out. And you've got to bear in mind, I'm 16 years old, you know, smoking, smoking as much marijuana as I could, smoking cigarettes all day long. And then obviously when I was on the gigs, I wasn't drinking that much, but I was drinking probably seven or eight pints of an evening, you know, and then and then there came a point where they went they sussed it out a lot of the other pubs they, around the Devon area, so where well, he's not eighteen. So I'd drink Red Bull and then all the punters would stick a double whiskey in it for me. They'd go drown half of it and then they'd put a double whiskey in it. You know, and it was like that. And we were on tour all the time, you know, finish gigs, stay up late, be the last person up. Never wanted to be the last person to bed, you know. And uh, and that was and that's what I, I was in that band for five years. And the drinking calmed down a bit, Um, but the first three years, no, uh, no, it it didn't really calm down. I just got, I could, my tolerance just went up even more. And so, yeah, it was pretty full on, you know, and, and that, that was always the way. And we'd always be the last people out and people wanted to party with us. You know, that was the thing. Oh yeah. It's Russ and Adrian, Russ and Adrian here, you know, and that's how it was, you know, with the party animals and, I mean, you can imagine there is so much to that five years that I could tell you about, you know.
0: But this is when we um, shape our identity about being a drinker, isn't it? Because all those stories you're saying to me I can resonate with. But, But barley wine, right? When I went away with my mum and dad, we we used to go to a place in Hampshire, uh, and they used to have, in those days, it was the GPO, which was British Telecom now, right? I think it's open reach now, but we had these cheap chalets, and they had one of them old dodgy clubhouses where you would get some crappy singer there, like a pub singer. Uh and they sold barley wine and that was what something like nine percent or something. Yeah, nine percent,
1: eight and a half, isn't it? Nine percent. Eight and a half, nine yeah. percent,
0: right? And I was fifteen and I'll drink two of them and be off my rocker. And I, I was a ladies' man at fifteen, you know, like yeah. and uh but you look back at those days and you really glamorise those days because like, yeah, I was a right lad and I pulled the birds and I was with all the older lads and I was this and that, right? But this is where we glamorise alcohol, isn't it? Because it's formed your identity as being that, you know, I've often talked about, I was never the fighter. I was always the drinker. Like in um, Usual Suspects, where you had Mr. Pink, Mr. Black, and whatever. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. See what I mean? And it sounds like you and me would have got a house on fire.
1: Well, yeah, you know it. And I find that with most of the people that I meet through sobriety. It's like, like, yeah, we would have had a... and And the one thing I have to say is... At that time, I wasn't turning to drink because of any kind of depression or any kind of worries or any kind. I had zero worries. I was doing the job that I wanted to do. And and I was 15 years old, having a fucking amazing time, 16, 17. I, I was in the pub on my 18th birthday, right? We used to get tabs and stuff. And, you know, as it went on, you know, when I was getting into debt, even at that age on realizing that when you when you work and you're getting cash every night, you you basically had that amount of money to spend until you get some more. Yeah, and that that was how it was. And I remember being in the pub in Buffy Tracy on the Moors on my 18th birthday, um, bullshitting about, oh yeah, yeah, no, we've just got we got money coming in. So if I write you a check, you just keep that behind the bar and then you cash it tomorrow, and then that you know, and I was like, what's the date today? And it's like i oh, fucking oh yeah oh shit it's my birthday tomorrow and they're like oh how old are you going to be and I was like oh, 18. and they're like you've been drinking in here for a year and a half what the fuck you know so it, all of those kind of things were quite quite funny but there was a uh, there was a moment when I was when I was sixteen I had pains in my kidneys I didn't know it was kidneys at the time it was stinging in the back and when you sit down it was like someone was pushing it didn't necessarily hurt but it was like someone was just pushing you in the back like that. Um, and I went to the doctors and, you know, they just don't put alcohol in the mix. They're just like, oh, well, what do you do? You know, the. so that was a weird thing. And I remember stopping drinking for two weeks then and it being one of the fucking hardest things I ever did. And I remember it. And one thing I said on on my on my uh, Instagram account was, I've been fucking relapsing since that day. Do you know what I mean? When they said, do you drink? Yeah, and I yeah. said, well, yeah, I have it. It's probably best not to do that, you know?
0: Yeah, well, it, it was excessive, to say the least, really, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. You know, you never started moderately and worked your way up. No. It was like you was up there from the beginning. So, a yeah. bit like I me, though, straight. mate. Like, you know, I did have something happen to me, but equally, and I've always said this, I absolutely loved getting pissed. I just yeah. loved it. It it took me to a place that I was in my element, you know, um until later on and it completely changed. So what for happened, you, yeah. moving on, like, so into your 20s, like, where was your music career? you drinking...
1: So in the 20, in my 20s, I left the band that I was with and I joined a band in London. So I moved and I'd always said, Oh, I'll never live in London, but I moved from Devon and I moved to London. And it was weird. It was almost like a football transfer. It was like the band leader of that band spoke to the band leader of another band and was like, Well, I'm wrapping my band up. Adrian's going to become available. Do you, are you interested in having him? And then he was like, Oh, yeah, I'll find you back later. And, and it was all like, Oh, I've got you another job, but you got to move to London. And I was like, Oh, yeah, okay, cool. So then I moved to London, joined join join another band and that band are absolute monster monster pissheads that but not just that, so within the band I was with before there was sort of my mate who um uh, the, the unfortunate tale of that is that he's unfortunately now passed away mm-hmm. um he he passed away six it'd be six years ago seven years ago now um which is it is incre- it's yeah it, incredible um incredibly tragic but I, when I heard that news, I was never, ever surprised. I have yeah. to admit. Was well, that from went, drinking? Well, they say it wasn't, but I felt, you know, it, it was a, he had an aneurysm, a brain wow. hemorrhage, and, and it all happened in, you know, in a matter of moments, you know, and yeah. I managed to get down to be around the family at the time, and then it was a, it was a switch off a machine job, that kind of thing, you know, it was like, it's not, it's not good, which, uh, which was, you know, it was devastating. But, uh, well, not but, but, as well as that. So I moved to London, joined this band. I I joined uh, the band and they're, they're all drinkers, big drinkers, not so much smoking dope. But in the band, you had someone who was an, an ex addict, but was now an alcoholic. It, there was two or three alcoholics in the band and then me joining the band. And so then I make you make a friend in the band, you know? And so I made friends with uh, the banjo guitar player again, you know, he was my friend, he's my mate. It's like, yeah. And we used to share rooms everywhere, you know, and he used to have kind of two piss ups a day. Like he'd get up in the morning and he'd have kind of eight cans of Stella, then go to sleep in the bus, you know, in the bandwagon on tour. And then he'd wake up just before the gig, then get pissed again at the gig. And, you know, and so he was my roommate. We gravitated towards each other and we were, we were mates. And again, it was that late night, staying up. Um, but unfortunately, he 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 drunk himself to death as well. And he was thirty three when he went. So then it was, it, it was something that you 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 touched on on uh, when you were talking to Fraser uh, the other day, talking about um, comparing yourself to other people and always saying, "Well, I'm not as bad as him. Yeah. I'm not as bad as this person." And what I suddenly found was that all these people that I wasn't as bad of as um, sort of died. Do you know what I mean? And the, the my first the first guy I was talking about he he passed away after I got sober, so it just reaffirmed that I was doing the right thing. Yeah. You know? So that band was a very very heavy drinking band. Like it was already it was it was a constant heavy drinking. It was you know it was fifteen pints of Guinness every night. You know, can't yeah. And then and then then you'd go out or before a gig you'd be in the pub drinking all day long. You know, and it's so I was in that band for for seven years and then there was then i left that band to join bad manners which is the ultimate party party band you don't get bigger party animals than that (laughs) band so and and the thing was i ended up joining that band and i fitted right in there was you know i could i was doing i was on everything by then you know it's like you know sniffing smoking taking pills doing and and the thing was all of the time that i'm doing this i I wasn't fucking up i hadn't been fucking up but looking back on it all now i'm able to appreciate that i wasn't playing to my full potential but i was playing well and you know i listened to recordings of before and i go oh fucking hell you know you're never happy with your own playing anyway you know if you are then you should probably just fuck off but it's like you know it was always to a level. There was a standard and that it never dropped below. And I always, you know, and I, I always really, people would say, oh, the problem is, you know, the more you drink, the more, the more you get into it, the more you do this. Then I joined Bad Manners and the drinking where, where you could do it, but you didn't have to hide any of it. Yeah. So, so with the other bands, you know, I could be uh, five or six pints in the afternoon, turn up band leader. Being, have you been down the pub today? Oh yeah. Just came down, just had a pints, you know, I was already lying about it then, whereas in my head, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't, oh yeah, oh, I'll be all right. I'll get away with it. You, you know, and nowadays you you can spot someone a fucking mile off, even if they've just fucking walked past a pub. Do you know what I mean? It's, but so, and then, yeah, so then with Bad Manners, and then I started managing Bad Manners. So I'm the manager of Bad Manners. So I set up all the tours all around the world, set up all the flights, do everything. And I can tell you what, do, I still do that job. And it is a fucking nightmare. Right. It is a total nightmare. You've got you've got 10 people who just go into tour, yeah. manage me. Like I'm not going to do anything. Just push me around. Put me in the <laughs> right place at the right time. There's still always drinking around. Of course, there is not as much as there used to be. But I think I was an instigator of a lot of it as well. But the, the good thing is people always assumed with the jazz versus the more kind of mainstream world of you know, rock and roll that it would be easier for me to be around the jazz world than it would to be around the, the rock and roll, city, you know, the pop, pop scar city, you know, but the reality of it is the people in the jazz world never really, never really appreciated how fucked up I was like, and how much I was drinking. I always came to points where I noticed the problem with drinking was when I did actually want to drink to blackout, when I did want to drink to forget, or it's like, this is I am really stressed, I need to fucking drink. I have to drink that The trouble was then if your base level is about fifteen pints of Guinness plus a bottle of red wine and some shots, and you go to bed going oh, i'll just put that I'll just put that cigarette out right um, i 'll just go to bed now right yeah. if that 's your base level, if you want to get to the point where you don't <laughs> where you don 't remember anything, you have to go pretty much full in and that 's what used to happen to me. I would go. So we're talking around. This is around 2011 to 2014. That kind of period where things are now starting to stress me out. Like prop, like money's properly stressing me out. You know, uh, obviously got a cocaine addiction, so that costs quite a lot of money. Um, and then there'd be like tours would cancel bits of bits of a thirty-day tour would cancel, and I'd go, "Oh shit! Right, right. What I'll do." bargaining with myself i'll make the phone call tomorrow i'll do this right okay right and then that's okay right today i'll go out and get pissed today that's fine you can do that and then do it tomorrow wake up the next day can't even face it it's just like right okay hang on a minute if i do it the next day that will be fine just and you can you can warrant anything and barter with yourself can't you it's just it's, it's it's so stressful so what i used to do was um i would actually google where had good alcohol places in hospitals. So Chelsea and Westminster hospital has got a very good alcohol unit. If you happen to end up there also um, whips cross has as well. So I would then go to the area of where that is and then get to the point where I'm totally fucked. And then turn a bit gray and then walk in and go, I'm fucked. I think I'm about to die. Really? I already, I already knew the guy's name at, at Chelsea, Ben Harper. I laughed because it was the guy from my family. It was <laughs> the same name yeah, as the guy yeah. from my family. But and then went in there and, and when you're in there and this is because it's stress. So it's like, if I'm in hospital and about to die, nobody can shout you or tell me off. Yeah, that's, that's it. No one, no one, this, there's no way out of any of this. The only thing I can do is drink myself as close to death as I possibly can and then be in the hospital. And I remember being lying in there and someone going, this guy's in for alcohol abuse. It's like, we need to get him out. of the- We need to get him out of the room. We need to get him off the ward. Like what's he fucking like? He can't be here. And I remember the guy poking his head around the corner and going, I can't discharge him. He's grey, You know, and then what would happen? The usual thing I'd come out, they'd go, we'll put you into a, you know, go to a, a recovery person to like Hatley recovery or Chelsea, recovery. speak to a counsellor. Of course I had nothing in common with any of the counsellors who would talk to me because they'd never, you know, the worst thing is when you've got a counsellor who says, well, I've never actually been a drinker. I mean, yeah. right. Okay. Well, fuck off then. Do you know uh, what so I mean? I'm He's- a
0: football manager. who's never played football, isn't it? No, I mean, yeah. it's
1: incredible, isn't it? Yeah. And so I had, periods of that where they put me on valium and stuff and uh a reducing dose and they were like this is it this is you now stop for good and i was like yeah yeah no definitely but in my head after about two weeks i go fuck me i'm gonna have to start drinking again soon otherwise you know it's gonna go i'm gonna be too far down the line to stop and and i can't do that and then maybe yeah. three weeks would pass and then I'd, I'd reintroduce it and say well i'm gonna drink but without spirits and do that and to it enough. again <laughs> Do you know what i mean i'm yeah. a fucking master of it yeah. we all know i reckon yeah but so that was you know and that's what was happening until and i mean there's, there's so much to it but obviously as you know and we've all got stories that could go on for fucking hours but then i thought to myself i was living in islington and i thought oh, i'm gonna get fit so i'll buy a bike right so I, i've got a bike I was fucking annoyed that you had to put it together when it arrived. You know, I was like, <laughs> oh, oh. You know it. And, and I went out on the bike and I came back home. This is in September 2013. And I came back home and I put the bike to one side. And I was like, fucking hell, my legs killing. My and you know if you've got a joint that needs clicking, yeah, yeah. That feeling of it needing to clicking doesn't hurt, but it's weird. It's like and I had that feeling right in the middle of my hip. And I was like, what the fuck's this? Anyway, they gave me painkillers. They gave me tramadol. They gave me that, which of course I got addicted to, and then all that. And then, so this is all going on, and they and then eventually I go for an MRI scan, and then I come back. Uh, it was March. I'd been on the piss so much that year twenty beginning of twenty fourteen now, like stupid amounts, like to ridiculous, like just next level every day. And I remember I had a gig. And I was playing at the Crypt in St. Martin's in the field. There was a, a, a nice concert hall underneath. It's, or it's a jazz calf type thing. And we were doing it there. I'd got some coke. I'd been on the piss in the afternoon and I thought oh, I need, I was living in a pub, by the way. I'd been living in a pub. Uh, previous to that in Belgravia in the Nags Head. So <laughs> great pub, but I was living above it. And so I was in there every day. And as soon as I walked in, everyone fucking knew me. I oh, say, so you Badman. doing bad manners. I was oh, the jazz man. It's this. everyone coming in, sit at the bar. I didn't have to buy a drink. You know, I had the cheapest rent in London, 60 quid a week. Wow. But, um, but often my bar bills sometimes would be, be extortionate, like 700 a week or something. But anyway, so I've, I've gone out. I've been in there all day drinking. Um, I wasn't living there at the time, but I'd gone out there on the piss. And then I'd turn up at the gig. I think I've got to get some Coke, straighten up. So I order Coke. Obviously the dealer doesn't turn up. So we go on stage, do the first half. Then I go out, get the Coke, come back. The band leader gets on it as well. And you can drink for free at this gig. So I was drinking loads of wine, all of that. Then I went to a club called the Phoenix, who they hated me in there, or they loved me, but they loved throwing me out as well. Um, so I went in there, got thrown out of there. And then I went to another club that I used to drink in all the time called Jerry's in Soho. Um, and I just said, and I, I'd had three bottles of champagne, champagne and brandy, mix it, you know. And I got home. And the next day, my, my girlfriend at the time said, if you don't stop this, right? And she's like, this is, it's fucking over pretty much. I was like, oh, and she's someone who drunk and takes Coke, you know, she's like, but this is, you've gone to beyond the realms. And I would say that Wednesday night, was was the most outrageously pissed i've ever been right then the friday i have to go and see the surgeon about my mri scan results uh, go and see so I, I turn up there and that night i'm going on tour with bad manners no no thought of stopping drinking or anything at all and i've had periods of stopping you know Bit and i go there and i walk in and he says um he says right sit down i said all right yeah he goes um he said i've got two bits of he said, I've got two bits of bad news for you. I'm like, okay, yeah, go for it then. I said, he said, well, he said, the first bit of bad news is you've you've got to stop drinking for good. He said that you you've got to stop drinking for good. He's like, you've um and I was like, right, right, what, really? I was like, really? What what the fuck? You know, I'm like, well, obviously he doesn't mean that. And then I'm like, okay, and what's the second bit of bad news then? He said, you've you've got a vascular necrosis which is AVN blood causing death. And he said, basically from your alcoholism, your blood has thinned so much that it stopped feeding the ends of your bones. Um, he said, I'm going to show you this now. And he showed me an X-ray of my thing. He said, there's the ball of your hip. And half of it was all, like half of it was black. And with a little, with a little divot taken out of it, he said, your hips gone. He said, that's why you stand, get up in the morning and fall on the floor. He said, I was like, well, Oh, uh, what, you know, but I wasn't. It, what the weird thing is, he said you need to have a you need to have a hip replacement. You know that was it. But my thing was more about the drinking. After I've had the hip replacement and all that, I always say, well, I'm lucky. I got away with it. You know, at least I didn't. At least I didn't fucking damage my body. I don't even see. Even to this day, I still don't see that. I I still find it hard to accept that yeah. that hit was done through that. But uh, on the NHS, they they said look you know, you're an alcoholic. We, we're we not going to, we're not fucking rushing you through this one. So we're doing watch and wait. He said, cause we want to, we don't see this often and you're a young lad, you're 30 years old. We want to see how it's affecting, you know, cause we'll take all the data from that. This was in the March, uh, yeah, March the 27th. And he said, come back in three months time. He said, and then to be honest, he said, we'll do another x-ray. He said, then we'll probably put you in for a, a hip replacement. Then, and you'll probably get the hip replacement in about nine months time. So then the sort of panic and I was like, right. He said, but you've really got to stop drinking or this is all going to get That no, This is going to affect you. You've got osteopenia. You got, and it was all caused from drinking. And luckily I, in Islington where I was, there's a lady called Claire Robbins. And I said, I need help with stopping drinking. And uh, they said, you're very lucky. We've got one of the best fucking alcohol counselors you could ever imagine. And I walked into the room and this is and I've been to I've been to Clapham Springfield one I've been to lots of them but the fact was I never wanted to stop drinking so I was always going to find tell them where why they were fucking wrong and why I was the exception you know and I I remember seeing seeing Claire Robbins walking in She's about I don't know I don't want to offend her in case she reads this but she must have been early 50s I'd say late 30s she was yeah of course yeah uh, but she had blue hair and I remember walking in and I was just she's like all right, Adrian how are you I was like yeah yeah, she's like and she we just started talking, and she said, "Go on, tell me what it's like going on the piss with you." You know, and I just started telling her, and she's like, "Fucking hell!" It was great. I was, she was like, "I'd love to go on the piss with you. We'd have a fucking great time." She said, "Anyway, we're not here to talk about that." She said, "Look, this is fucking serious. We got to do this." And yeah, and do you know what? I never wanted to let her down. And yeah, I was prescribed disulfiram and stuff like that, you know, and I never ever took it. Um, But she was instrumental in getting me going and another thing was there was a lady who was a, a fan of mine from the jazz world who said to me she said when are you having your hip operation this was like a month and a half later i said oh yeah this was in the may time she said when are you having your hip operation i said oh is probably not till next year she, like, uh, she said you can't do that she said i've had a double hip replacement she said go and see this guy jonathan miles she said speak to him um you pay for the consultation she said i'll pay for the operation wow And so I went in there and I said, you can't do that. It's fucking 14 grand. She's like, I can do what I want. You know, and I phoned her family and said, look, you know, your mum wants to do this for me. I can't really accept that. They said, no, if she wants to do something, she wants to do it. So I'm totally indebted to her. And that was another thing. It was, it was like, fuck, you know, and, and it was weird when I was told I had to stop because someone goes, I hate it when people say to me, oh yeah, but you were told you had to stop. I was like, fuck you. Like, I speak to people now and go, hey, you don't drink a lot, do you? And I said this the other day to someone, and they said, no, I'll probably drink maybe three pints every couple of weeks. I said, all right, imagine you could never have those three pints. was like, oh, I don't think I could do that. I'm just like, so yeah. So, and then that was the So the day I was told that I had to stop, there was a sense of relief, though. It was yeah. like I had the ultimate excuse. Yeah. Like, never before I had, like, oh, my, my fucking hip has died yeah like this is the excuse no more bartering
0: almost is it because do you know what i mean because you needed that thing and this woman with a blue hair claire blue hair yeah. claire
1: blue hair claire yeah,
0: was she a drinker
1: yeah she and she still she still drank she said i still do drink she said i have like, a white wine spritzer every now and again
0: yeah she's, like, she's like, the I football manager who's played football is what i'm saying to you so she's she the can one relate to it. you it
1: yeah she she even said to me she was like do you smoke dope i was like not anymore she was like all right she was like if you wanted to get on dope you know she goes we can get you off that (laughs) but it was just it was the way she was she was like i would say get on cocaine she said but it's all shit now you know yeah yeah. she had
0: a way about her yeah yeah and i
1: was just like she's fucking cool you know yeah yeah and yeah that's why you didn't want to let her down because she got you yeah you you know it but and that was the thing and but the the thing was i so I stopped drinking, but the, but the, but cocaine, I didn't stop. And that was the, that was the problem. And it was not just the addictions to alcohol, it was addictions. Cause I had the hip replacement. I wasn't going out. So I had three months at home. So I was taken away from the thing, which made it easier. I think. Yeah. And then when I got introduced back into society and doing gigs, I was like, well, I could probably do a bit of coke. And I did that. Then suddenly it's a thousand pound a week coke habit. Then, then I had a gambling habit. I, I won I won 140,000 pound and then I gambled it away within two or three weeks. And then I spent 60 grand of somebody else's money trying to win it back. And then that all came out in a huge fucking explosion. And that's, and then it was then when Steve, who's my man, Steve Crow is the main guy. He, he fucking phoned me up out of the blue, but not out of the blue. Someone said to him, the guy who owns the pub in Belgravia, phoned him they're old mates and he's been sober now for 30 years um uh steve and i just get this phone call and this wonderful voice this deep voice adrian how are you i said who's this he said it's steve he said you don't know me but i'm a friend of kevin moran's like okay why are you calling and i'm i am fucked at this point uh, like from coke i just stopped taking coke i'm in debt 60 grand and everyone knows about it and i'm like what am i gonna do he said, tell me what's going on. And I just told him everything. And he said, right, he lives in the new forest. He said, right, come down to the new forest now. I said, oh, I can't do that. He said, all right, I'll come up to you. And the next day I went down and just spoke to him. And that's when I feel that I really started dealing with addictions. Oh, um, wow. And yeah, and he's been incredible. And we don't talk every day. We don't talk every week, but it's really funny when I'm, it, something might happen and I think, oh, fucking hell. And then suddenly I get a text message from him. It's, it's, it? it's so weird. You must have that happen with you. Oh,
0: well, the, the guy that um, suggested to me that um, he didn't tell me to stop drinking, he suggested we, we did it together for three months. And it yeah. was a similar experience to you. It was just like the voice from upstairs almost like coming through him. And we did it. But I didn't realize he didn't drink anyway. <laughs> so he had me over on that one.
1: But oh, you know I love what? it. That yeah, yeah. was oh, so
0: good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But do you know what, mate? He rings me out of the blue sometimes and he says, I've just had a feeling that I need to ring you today. How are you? And it's always at a time that I'm really struggling. Do you know what I mean? How and, do they know that shit? I know. It's, it's like a superpower, isn't it? But you know, that, that's the reason I stopped because I remember when he texted me that day, I had a terrible hangover and I laughed at the text. It was like, I can't even get up three days, let alone three months. But yeah. it, was the, it was the way he approached me about it. It was almost like, you haven't told me what to do because I hate being told what to yeah. do.
1: Yeah. You
0: know? It was the way he suggested it. It was like, how about we give up alcohol for three months to see how you are in your life, your relationships, your health and whatever. And I started to reason with that conversation throughout the day. And it's like, I started to think to my, how would I look? How would my life appear in all this business? And it, and it was like a sponge to me. And by the end of the day, I was like, are you in? I'm coming to see you. And that's where it began, you know, and that's three and a half years ago. Um
1: so, it's so good. That thing It it, it, it's so important (laughs) that of it, knowing how to talk to someone yeah knowing how to because you know there's pe- people often say to me they go oh uh, such and such is struggling I think you should give them a call and I think if I give them a call that's going to be the worst thing that could happen yeah. and I will always I will always call Steve and go hey that this is a situation that I'm around at the moment what is my best thing to do you know yeah. you you must get it all all the time and you want to make sure that you say the right thing, but everybody's situation is is totally, it's it's totally different from from how someone might. But the end result is the same thing, and that's. I've got a friend, um, my friend Jack. He's like we, you know, we hold each other accountable for anything, and in the same way of like, it, we have a thing. If you say that you're going to do something, you then have to do it. Yeah. And and one of my funny things is like, there's a couple of things that I really want to say. But I know as soon as I say them, I've got to fucking do it. But I just haven't got the time at the moment. Yeah. So I've really been looking forward to when I actually say it. But he's hes like, we, we hold each other accountable for all those things. But he came down to me when he stopped drinking. And I, when I speak to him now about it, he said, he said, fucking hell, mate. He said, the amount of trust I put in you when I said, mate, it's going to be fucking hard. It's going to be yeah. shit.
0: That's Jack Cotterall, right?
1: Yeah, Jack Cotterall, yeah. So and he's I a musician
0: him, as well, isn't
1: he? Yeah, he's a drummer, you know, and he's yeah. mon- monster piss head. You know, it's really weird, actually, because we never hung out loads when we were drinking. He's a lot yeah. younger than me. and But now we just reap the whole – we just do the whole – I said to him, right, it's coming up my eight years sober from alcohol, you know. I said, I'm celebrating that. I'm going to – I want to go away. He's like, yeah, yeah, cool, where? I'm like, I said, well, these days we'll just go somewhere. Like, and no, I just book a holiday. Right. We're going there. Great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's get down there. No, no. And I think that's something that I find is, it's so important holding people accountable. Yeah. And, and whenever, whenever I'm stressed about stuff, you know, there's a few things that I'm going through at the moment, just, just, to, it, it's, at the moment it seems to like, you know, just day to day, Things of like uh, I'm caught up in all the Heathrow problem mm. with baggage not coming in. So then I've bought new new clothes, then ordered new clothes, but haven't arrived. Now I've got to go away on tour again, and I've had to buy another suitcase. But but I couldn't imagine dealing with any of it. No. How are you? And the other thing is, I don't know when I had time to get pissed. It, it, I-
0: it's incredible, isn't it? It, it? That's what I I think about now. Right. It's like you remove one thing from your life and it gives you a million things back. And one is time because, you you know, like I've often said, when you drink, especially like how you did, and probably I wasn't in your league, but it was different for me. I used to drink at home, so I would drink a litre of vodka until I passed out, you know. So it's a different kind of thing, but, you know, similar amount maybe. But I would wake up. That's all I think about is the destruction of my life and where I was in the depression and how I've messed everything up in my life. And then that will go through until lunchtime. And then after I'd barter, as like you say with myself, well, you know, where I said in the morning, I, there's no way in a million years I'm drinking tonight. I, I'm going to have an early night, a bit of grub more, By by one, two, you're starting to barter again. You go, well, maybe I could have one. Right? Because you, yeah. you're withdrawing from the alcohol, aren't you? And, and then by exactly. four, you think, well, uh, and by six, you're in there buying a litre of vodka again. Think, well, you know, I'll have a couple out of that, but you end up doing it again. Yeah. And that's how it was the hamster wheel, over and over and over again. But people often say to me, mate, how did you not, like, have any symptoms of withdrawing after? How did you not be really ill how did you not have seizures and whatever? Did did you have any
1: like side effects when you stopped? So when I stopped, I had all the kind of palpitations like that, you know, all the nerve endings coming back, and and I'd I'd just feel I felt because I always find that the thing is when you decide that you're going to stop drinking, it's really really exciting, and it's like yeah okay you can, and everybody's on your case talking about it, and so I was like right, I know this is going to be horrible sleeping, and I'm going to be shaking, and I'm going to and and I did have shakes in the way that it, it, it wasn't more like, it wasn't that, right. Like, I need a drink. It was more like, like I couldn't no, sleep. It's... Like I just, yeah. I'd get these sudden pangs of like bang. And then, yeah. and then I've, then I've found, yeah, I found it was weird because mentally I've always been, because all the time I was drinking, I was at work. That's the thing. Mm. You know, I'm on stage and people are almost expecting it. People are like, oh, fucking hell. Did you see Adrian? And I was like, oh, we had a great night. And I would go, the thing is, we'd do a festival Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then Monday we'd be back on the road, touring, doing a club, club, and then back to another festival. So it, it's nonstop. But, yeah, I, I think I got away with not having full-on DTs, do you know what I mean, or, you know, that full withdrawal because yeah. I think I was fucking tired and just from not getting much sleep Yeah, because we were on the road all the time. And my brain... I have to keep my brain so active, like I just, and I do it without even realizing it. It's only really in the last sort of two years that I've really sort of, uh, and, and a lot since I started doing the Instagram account, talking about it every day. You know, being on tour in South America, chatting every day, and I always have this blinkered vision in my head. Oh yeah, I'm doing really well, and everything's fine, and all's cool, you know. But when I, I watched all them videos back, and I was like, "Fucking hell, you look absolutely knackered." And I could get back to that moment going, fucking hell. And now I'm just here and everything's fine. You know, it's like, but that was so stressful. That was, God, this happened, that happened. And I'll be the first That's the functioning
0: side, isn't it? When when I think about me, so I was on that 60-minute makeover for years, right? And and there was one night there was a producer come down, director from Brookside, right? And he was a new kid on the block. So he was trying to sort of... um, flex his way into the team and whatever. And, he, and we yeah. said, right, we're going to get around him. What do you want? He, he said, well, mine's a bottle of red wine. Like, and, and I said, oh, we'll all have one then. So it was like five bottles of red wine. Right? Yeah, yeah. And so the next round was five bottles of the next one. The next round. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and we went to bed about four in the morning, and my alarm went off at r five, right? And I was steaming when I woke up, like absolutely yeah, right beaming and i had to drive to the bloody makeover and i never drink and drive i say that yeah. i used to every bloody morning because yeah of course you do. do yeah. You never people never own up to that oh i'll go to the pub and i would never drink and drive i'm not sure why i did that accent but, no, but- um and, and then but you did in the morning but i drove yeah. to that and, I, and now i think god like if i wake up and i say oh, bloody hell, I woke up at one for half an hour, but I went back to sleep. I'm, like, a bit down about it, like, yeah. oh, I've had broken sleep. But then I think about those days, and, God, every single day I was hanging out of my ass, like, yeah. doing the filming, looking forward to going to the hotel that night, and it was part of it. And there were a couple yeah. of guys that didn't drink, and I was almost outcasted. They, they, They were popping... Oh, I was like, oh, what's yours? A Coke, mate. You're not drinking, like, the beer shaming, you know? Yeah.
1: Uh, oh, man. It's such You know what? When I was on on tour with the second band that I joined in London, for the latter part of that, there was a, a drummer in the band and a bass player who both didn't drink. One of them had never drunk, but the other one used to be... It, it was in recovery. It, it used to be a massive alcoholic cocaine, And, and it, he would always be there, having a great time. He'd be up, still still up with everyone, you know, yeah. and he was and uh, always womanizing you know it's like yeah. hey, you know you know the whole thing and and i never i never appreciated that he wasn't drinking you know yeah. i never shamed him about it but of recent it was only the other week uh, only the other week when i really went fucking hell my mate jules who i shared rooms with who he walked me back from the pub you know i was you know some horrendous states on tour you know making sure i've some of them, but they would sleep by me making sure I hadn't died in the night, you know? Yeah. Hey, you know, and that would be a story for me. Oh, fucking hell. It was funny. Yeah. I was walking back. Yeah. Or something. Fucking Jamie didn't get any sleep because he was watching me making sure I didn't die in the night. Oh, fucking it's hell. fumbling, isn't it? And he just go, Oh my God. And it's only now when, when you start to realize the sober network, is yeah. fucking amazing. Yeah. And And I, you, you, must, it's so hard to get, across to people that you don't have to hit fucking rock bottom because no. this is a good way of life you know yeah. this is a fucking great way of life and the, uh, my friend jack he's, he he did a, a very poignant post you know unfortunately he lost his father you know when he was very young you know and he, his family was uh, they were drinkers you know big drinkers smokers and and he he is absolutely smashing life but he was saying you know him and myself we always and i think a lot of us We'll accept, and we go. Well, yeah, I think there is a there is a, a place for alcohol in society. There is. It's just not for mine. And I don't regret any of the things I've done because because where I am now is fucking. I'm being as best as I possibly can be. And I I said it the other day. I was on a festival the other day, a jazz festival, and I had such a good time. It was hilarious. I and mean, everyone felt it, and I felt like I was off my fucking head. And and it was just from having a good time and playing, the band played great, you know. But I was talking to my friend. We always said, I believe that alcohol has its place within society. But do you know what? uh, Of recent, I'm getting more and more fed up with the fucking advertising of it. Mm. He did a whole thing, you know. And I watched um, Fraser Franks and uh, Richard. uh, Yeah, from Alcohol Change UK. They did a live yesterday. Last night, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And I was just talking about, Talking about the adverts and like how his kids bought him, you know, years ago bought him a bell that said "Ring for beer" and stuff yeah. like. And it and every time you walk into a supermarket, it's there. It's yeah. And I I say to people when I'm in the pub, they go, "Oh yeah, but you're all right. You'll never drink again." I say, "Hold oh, on." I said, "My plan is never to drink again." I said, "But I said if I had one sip of beer, right?" I said, "If I had if I swigged a half a you know half a half a pint, a quarter of a pint." I would be able to warrant starting drinking. And they went, Oh no, you wouldn't. You just wouldn't do that. And I said, I would, I fucking would. And I said, I'm not saying I'm struggling. I'm not going, Oh my God, I'm just on that edge all the time. And I think people sometimes go, Oh, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, no, I'm okay. I'm fine. But I'm, but I'm just letting you know that that fucking edge, if you just tip over that edge, my whole life, if I tip over that edge, my life is fucked. And that is, and imagine and I am trying to say to someone, imagine living on that edge yeah. all the time.
0: Yeah.
1: It's like walking on a fucking cliff edge. If you just go too much center of gravity, that way you fucked it. And, and I said, and I'm not struggling because I fucking love this life and everything's good. I said, but, and I say it to people in recovery. I'm like, don't fucking take it. Sorry, I'm swearing a lot, but I do. Um, don't take it for granted because, or don't get complacent because it will, I've seen people done a year off the booze, six years off the booze. Oh yeah, oh are you drinking? Oh yeah, oh, I'm just drinking halves these days. Yeah. Well I used to drink halves when I drank I used to drink thirty halves a day. You know. <laughs> it's like Yeah,
0: I I um I heard someone the other day that um drink drunk one can of that crap gin and tonic, which yeah. I used to clean my teeth with that when I was drinking. Do you know what I mean? But that got him back on. And he, within a month, he was drinking a bottle of vodka a day. Yeah. After 10 years of sobriety. So I hear you there. Anyway, yeah. mate, I want to know how it is for you now. With the band, Bad
1: Manners, are they still bad? And how do you well, deal with it? So that was the point that I was getting to earlier until I went off on another tangent. I do that. Um So... Well, what I was saying earlier was uh, people always thought that it would be harder within the rock and roll industry rather than the jazz industry. But the fact is the people in the jazz never really took how serious my alcoholism was and everything else. was happening. So they would be the ones who go, oh, you're right. You could just have a half, though. You can have a half. You could just do that. You could have... Whereas Buster said to me, if you have a fucking drink again, that's it. You know, uh, like, oh, like, you know, and, and all of that band have totally got my back. The whole Amazing. lot of them. And and we were in a pub in Scotland. Um, I remember it in Stonehaven and we, we were staying above the pub and we had two nights in this theatre there. And uh, and Buster came into the um he came into the bar and we're all there and he goes, Right, lads, I'll get everyone a drink. He's like, Oh, we'll have that, have that. And um I think I said, Oh, I'll just uh I'll just have a lemonade, please. Or oh, I'll just have a tonic water, you know. And the guy was like, Oh, you don't drink, do you? Like that. And and Buster just went, Fucking hell, in. For starters, if he was drinking, he'd fucking drink every single person under the fucking table in this fucking thing. Secondly, he doesn't fucking drink. He's in recovery, you know, and he said, "I'll tell you what, we won't fucking drink this." You know, and we and and we just fucking went into the pub next door. You know, yeah. it was funny, you know. Yeah, uh, but, that's uh, great though, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, he he laid into the guy and you know, and and he will always he will always say, you know, I'll oh, fucking Adrian's amazing you know if I, and I do everything for that band you know and for him you know i I saw everything i saw everything out where whatever it needs to be and and I do understand that some people are never going to change and some people are the same but they're not as bad as they were you know and it's all that's you know' it's, it's not really like like it was in the it, well when I was there but i mean before I was there it was even more uh, like off the level crazy you know but nowadays what it's like for me now is you know i it's amazing that you still have to explain yourself as to why you're not having a drink that, that one still it's, you know, you posted it regularly, you know, the only, the only drug, drug that you, you justify. It. Yeah,
0: justify. But do you know what? It's like, you can come back with, well, why are you drinking then? <laughs> Cause exactly. that throws a whole can of worms open for them. Do you know what I mean? And, and, but do you know what? I just, feel, I've got so much self-confidence, I suppose, that, I just say what well, it is, what well, it is, or or I fucked it up, or whatever. I d- I don't I don't pay uh, the attention they are after. No. They, no, they're exactly. trying to make it a big deal. Do you know what I mean? And I'm not yeah. buying into
1: that game anymore. And it's also a projection of what they're you know because people suddenly when they go, "What you're here and you're not drinking?" Yeah, I'm here because I'm seeing some some people. That see. I'll tell you something I've noticed of of since the pandemic, right? So in the pandemic, everyone was going, or lots of people were saying, oh yeah, we really miss social side. We really need this. You know, we need bars to open so that we can socialize with people and do this. Do you know what? I didn't need that to happen. And and one thing I've learned now is that I don't need to spend my time, you know, because people always used to go, oh, it's amazing. Adrian still meets at the pub. We all go down the pub. Adrian comes down and meets us. And, and I, I was wondering why sometimes when I'm in the pub, I don't feel that comfortable. And I'm like, Oh yeah. You know, we're just going to have one more. Okay. Right. And then we'll go home. Right. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Now I was thinking all the fucking things I could be doing and I loved lockdown because I could practice clarinet. I had a live stream I was doing every week. That was, that was great for me. Great for mental health. Great for me practicing and doing that. Also monetary people were ridiculous with their donations. So that was cool. I had that going on. Also, I was up at 6 a.m. Yeah. I read a book called The Miracle Morning. Oh, yeah. I just got up and, and I started doing that. And I was like, right, I'll do it for four weeks. And, then, and now I wake up at 8 o'clock most days, you know, and I, and I get up. Sometimes it doesn't work when you're on tour because you do actually have to have some sleep. But, it's you know, for me now, it's nice. I've just been at a festival last weekend where I've only ever been at it off my face, you know. And not, off my, not fucking it up or anything like that. Gone there, had a great time of what I thought I had a great time. The best time I have ever, and I've done that festival since 2001. So it's 21 years. Yeah. I've done it probably 11 or 12 times. And the best time I have ever played it was last weekend. And I made a point of telling everybody that, of how much, of, it, how great that was, you know. And, and Shay said it the other week, you know, he said going on tour, all those times, you know, the gig, the, the classic thing is the gig gets in the way because you'd be having a party, yeah, all oh, right, we've got to go on stage now. You go on stage yeah. for 75 minutes. Then you come off, the party continues. You don't see anything. And and I'm someone who I never wanted to go, even though I wanted to be on tour as a musician. I never went, oh I really want to go to Tokyo or I really want to go to New York or I really want to go here. Never had any thoughts of where I wanted to go and and I just happened to be there. So I'm I love being in a hotel room and chilling. I love all that life. I love being in an airport I've been on a plane. Yeah. Um but I've never been a real sightseer and all that. But now, do you know what? I enjoy really good food. I find out what restaurants are there. Yeah. Just been in Mexico for ages. Just fucking eating the best food, staying in nice hotels, flying business class, cruising, you know, and, and life's different. And Shaya said it, he goes, I'm actually seeing all those all those things that I missed, you know, all those days of like experiencing I
0: mean, life though. You know? Yeah. Like, like I would go on holiday halfway around the world and I could be going a flipping, where well, you used to play, a uh, bogner flipping yeah, buttons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Do you know <laughs> what I mean, though? Like, like why people go all the way around the world to lay there and get pissed and come back and, oh, where, what did you say? Well, the bar and the
1: swimming pool. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? When you get talking to people about, when I, some people who go, oh, yeah, we've been on holiday. Yeah, oh, it's great. Yeah, I went to an all-inclusive. Just, oh, it's great. Just parked myself up at the bar all day long. All right, that sounds good.
0: (laughs) No, I know. And and, did you you see the country? No, what are you talking about? so yeah. but look mate i'd love to round this up now because on this podcast as you know we like to keep it around an hour yeah i've loved it honestly i feel like oh, mate. we're mates from back in the day do you know Oh I mean? yeah
1: i tell you what do you know what? i didn't even think about it when we started talking that we've never ever spoken to each other no i know <laughs> and that's a lovely thing it's like we've never spoken to each other but you know support each other you know you do so much for so many people and you know i'll say thank you to you on behalf of of myself and everyone else who I talk to, you know, there's so many people that go, ah, oh, we're sober Dave, sober Dave, sober Dave. And they always send me stuff that you're doing and I pass it on to people. And I know so many people get their lives have changed because of you. So oh, that's bless a big you, up to mate. you. Mate. And, and the yeah. same
0: for you, mate, because I know people that you recommended my dry Jan, right? Yeah, always. Yeah, yeah. And I know people very well that, are still sober from you recommending that. And they did that and carried on. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's so so nice. it's a uh, full circle, isn't it? Where we help yeah. each other, help others. And all I know, mate, is that I want to meet you soon, but Definitely. you're touring all over the joint, aren't you? So I'm I all think, over mate, the
1: place. Well, I'm trying to think. I go off to Denmark tomorrow, then to uh, a Skona in Switzerland for a week. And then I'm, then I'm back out to Denmark and stuff but I'll find out when I'm nearest to you. Oh, I'll, 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 I'll drop you me a message.
0: Don't show off now. Or you could take me to Switzerland. How about that, eh? <laughs> yeah, Business yeah, class. I'll,
1: I'll take you, but you can buy the coffees <laughs> about 30 quid ago.
0: <laughs> I imagine, mate. But look, it's been a real joy, mate. And uh, you've been an amazing guest and I've been hey, smiling, so much. you know, um, and you're real proof that you can turn it around because your drinking was insane and whatever and you've turned it right around you're eight years sober now and and you're doing amazing so well done you as well mate hey cheers Dave thanks man let's catch up soon
1: yeah definitely 100% see you later mate see you later mate
0: I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of One For The Road please remember to subscribe and leave a review you can now download my app Sober Dave on the Apple and Google Play Store And on there you will find lots of tutorials, tips and support to help you stop drinking. And there are also meditation audios, food plans and chat forums. You can also find me on Instagram at Sober Dave. Please remember to join me for next week's episode. But Until then, thanks for listening and have a great week.